Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. G'day everybody, welcome back to the ESPN Footy Pod for another week. Matt Walsh here, joined once again by Jake Michaels, back from a brief hiatus, and Christian Jolly in the Melbourne studios. Jake, just your thoughts on Italy and Europe in, in general in uh, July? Uh, better than Melbourne in July, I've got to say. A little bit of colour on your face too, I reckon. Is there? Yeah, you're normally quite a pale man like myself. <laughs> I was going to say, thank you. <laughs> uh, no, it was good. Very nice, long days. Um, hard to come back. Yeah, mm, yes. always landing in in Melbourne, and then you walk out into the cold, and you wonder why you've come back. But oh, the footy, footy the Blues are back. Yeah, I just noticed. You told me that, I had uh, to go back. We, yeah, you started. We were winning without me. No, nah, no wees. The the Blues did start winning when you uh, when you headed off overseas. So maybe it's worth thinking about that. Uh, Christian, are you back on board the Blues bandwagon? We were talking he's about never on board on off air, and he's. I think he's starting to come around. Oh. <laughs> I just, I'm so frustrated. I've, I've reached exhaustion with them at the moment. Just, uh, they're back. But again, I, I've, <laughs> they're back. I've seen, Clip I've seen, <laughs> I've seen how bad it can go though. So yeah, yeah. For, you know, talk about four fifty plus point wins and five weeks ago, we're sitting here saying we can't even hit 50 points in a game. So, we, the Wees are back. It's oh, all happening. There's uh, uh, we di- we distance ourselves from this team when <laughs> they are losing, but when they're winning, we're all about but them. There is a little bit of chatter in the office about ending a season. Well, like looking at your final six or seven. Seven weeks of a previous season that usually helps a new team reach the eight the very next year. So yeah, Carlton sort of you don't want to uh, you don't want to give up on the season too early. Even if they're not making finals, there is a case to be made that you sort of start to put a foundation for for next year. In, you know, in the in the last few rounds this year, it's obviously no secret where our uh, listeners would know that we're all Carlton supporters. But in all seriousness, I think every footy fan has to look at Carlton over the last twelve months and think what a what a roller coaster it's been! Like you know, top eight all year last year, lost the last two games in heartbreaking fashion, fall out so dramatic, start the year off well, uh, top four throughout the first five weeks, then it's a was it one and eight through mm. the through the middle part of the season, looked like looked awful. Everyone was saying outside of the bottom two, they're the worst team in the league, and now it's like they're favourite to be playing in September. So we're talking about a roller coaster. Yeah. Um... Fun? Not fun? I don't no, know. not fun. You... I mean, the wins are fun, but I... <laughs> a hard team to support. Uh, plenty to talk about this week, including wild card rounds. Yes, they're back on the table. Priority picks. Yes, they're back on the table. Uh, the tight run home while we look at who the comp's best kicks are and whether a two-ruck system really still works in the AFL. But before we a get... one-ruck system works in the AFL. But <laughs> before we get cracking, Jake, something from the weekend uh, that took your fancy. Something from the last two weekends. You mentioned I was away for two weeks um, and obviously wanting to continue staying across everything AFL. The only way you can watch footy overseas is watch AFL if you haven't used that service before, which is great Correct. because you can great watch. Great service. Yeah, you live, can watch all the games. You can watch them demand. live. You can watch them on replay. It's great. The thing I noticed was, and I noticed this when I was in Japan uh, for round one, they are hosing people on the price here. $24 a week. That's that's a month of KO, basically. That's the price of one general admission ticket in Melbourne, I'm pretty sure, isn't it, these days? Well, I don't know. What does a general admission ticket cost? Oh, that's a great question. I just sort of scan in with my media pass, so who knows? Um, it's not that expensive, oh, I think it? it's I think it's steep. That's if a week. If you're that's fortunate enough to travel overseas, I think 24 bucks you can stump up. Well, maybe you've maybe you've spent your last coin getting overseas, and you don't have enough to to get the service. Could That's ninety six dollars a a month. I mean, I know people generally aren't overseas for the whole year, and they're paying for the whole year, but it's pretty expensive. I wonder how it compares off the top of my head to something like um, the NBA Pass or NFL's uh, one equivalent. Let's I think that's research. cheaper. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Uh, I've used it before. I think it's a good service. It's a good service, but uh, yeah, stooging the old uh, customers on the price. Christian, something from the weekend that you noticed. 
Uh, something I noticed, it might be that preparation might be a little bit overrated. I don't know if that's tongue-in-cheek or not, but uh, I know five or six years ago, there was the famous story of Nick Diger might have been eating a Subway sandwich up in the stands and got a late call-in for Brock McLean going out. We saw the similar <laughs> thing with Carlton on the weekend with uh, Jesse Motlop getting a late call-up about 10 minutes before the game for Matt Owies, who pulled out and come out and kicked four goals. But on top of that, also hearing about Gold Coast week. So obviously they lost their coach midweek and basically all the players were sent home for two days, didn't do much training. Stephen King's basically said... He didn't coach him much last week. They sort of just rocked up and played and and got the win. So are we doing too much too much preparation with training and pre match warm ups and all that stuff when Gold Coast can just rock up like that and have a win and Jesse Motlop can you know get dressed ten minutes before a game and kick four goals? Maybe the fans are onto something when they say just kick the damn ball. <laughs> you say that, don't you? Nah, I do not. Um, nah. I think that we've well, we've spoken about this numerous times over the over the five year tenure of this podcast, but there's something to be said about. New coach comes in and teams win. The bounce back. Yeah, and, and again, the it's probably about fifty percent in recent years. So it's probably gone a bit. I it's, reckon it's more. It's gone really? a bit. Yeah, it's got a bit loose. Like I think the myth sort of grown in the last few years. I think we've seen. Um, yeah, I think it was like two losers last year on their bounce, but one winner and two losers. But yeah, it, it's four of the past but, six. You told me yeah, before with, this with, week. Yeah, with two this. I'd also missed this year Hardwick uh, oh, and Walter. So that one I hadn't included in that number. But bear in uh, mind, like even if it is fifty percent. These are teams that have more often than not fired their coach. Yeah, so they're bad teams. Less, so less 50%, 50% is an incredible record for a team that's fired their coach. Yeah, and I'll, I'll have to get the numbers, but there is something, I think there is a, it, it goes pretty bad in week two. It's a pretty yeah. poor winning percentage in week Quick, two. And it drops off again. <laughs> yeah. Even even North Under Ratton were really quite competitive and then we can kind of see how that's gone the last few weeks as well. Uh, something I noticed and um, we might have to, speaking of clipping things up, we might have to get this clipped Ooh. up again, but Zach Bailey uh, on Friday night before the game was having a bit of fun during the warm-ups uh, for the Lions and went to the centre circle, grabbed a footy off uh, either one of his teammates or one of the umps and had a go at bouncing, trying to bounce the ball. Did see this, yes. Uh, went spectacularly wrong. No good. So he um, he bounced it, went straight into his face, uh, had a bit of a sore face after that. Teammates were laughing at him. Um, and it got people sort of saying, maybe it's tough to do and we're not cutting these umpires enough slack. Well, you consider yourself pretty handy with the old uh, bounce. I don't know what Zach Bailey's doing, but he's not doing the right technique. Someone needs to teach him how to bounce the footy because I had a go of it uh, earlier in the season. Yeah. and I'm sure we've got the video. We could probably over overlay some of this or, or go through Footy Tips Twitter and, and find it. But uh, pretty proud of it, weren't you? I was pretty happy. <laughs> it wasn't too bad. Seven out of ten were pretty straight up and down. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of callbacks. Um, but poor old uh, Zach copped one in the in the schnoz, uh, and it uh, would have hurt. I would have thought. Yeah, interesting. Do you do you guys at Champion Data record? Call call back or recall bounces? Uh, not specifically. So we, not really. So we know it's a throw up compared to a centre bounce and sort of. We, but that we could be in the wet or something. Exactly. Like that. So there's 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 ways that yeah. Sometimes we even Razor Ray. I think there's been times where he's just thrown it up straight away this year. Sort of realised he's not Can't confident in his bouncing, which which I'm happy with. If the umpire knows that you know they're not confident with the bounce, why waste our time? Just throw it straight up. But yeah, it's something we haven't quite recorded. But just another quick one on Zach Bailey. A little bit off track, but. The stat that I've got for him, that you know, one of the stats of the year is uh, he's currently equal 222nd. I think I said this a few weeks ago. Equal 222nd in the competition for total intercepts. He was before the weekend number one for points scored from intercepts in the competition. He's just dropped to one point below Darcy Moore, so he's second in the competition for points from intercepts after winning the 233rd most of any team. So. If you kick the ball, if you're the opposition, you kick the ball to Zach Bailey. Brisbane are going to score. I remember we were talking <laughs> about this time. about a month ago. You mentioned that, and I. It, I'm not saying I would have picked it, but it's not a surprising player because he is someone that probably does get a lot of his intercepts in the forward half and is not someone to wait around. Usually, yeah. he's straight lines to goal. 
does straight line and go on, that's for sure. Uh, plenty to talk to this, uh, talk about rather this week. Uh, as I said off the top, uh, wild card chat has bobbed up again. Oh. Given we have teams ranging all the way down to fifteenth, I think who can still mathematically make the finals, but they won't. Uh, like clockwork. Well, along I think with... North could have made the finals going into this week. I saw something. North <laughs> yeah. Melbourne could could they're have... officially eliminated yeah. now. Um, but like clockwork, along with sort of like the night grand final chat and priority pick discussion, and we will get to that in due course as well. But uh, we'll kick it off with the wild cards. <sighs> That's exactly it. <sighs> Where do you start? I get the arguments for it. Extra week of footy, um, you know, potential for a boil over. Um, extra week of finals. You know, the season's on longer for more clubs. But, you know, if we're, if we're talking about what, what a wild card could look like, you're probably looking at something like 7th versus 10th um, and then 8th versus ninth. And these are teams that, you know, aside from this year where they are quite competitive, quite deep, mm. um, some of these teams have been have been rubbish, uh, really. And if you look at the... Just look at the 8th ranked teams. So teams that have actually made finals. The 8th ranked teams in finals since 2010. Uh, last year, Dogs lost by 13 points. Essendon in 2021 lost by 49 points. Collingwood in 2020. Now, that was an interesting one. That was the COVID year, and they went over to Perth. You remember the, all the talk about in the West Australian papers? Yep. Um, the Dirty Pies and all that kind of stuff? Anyway, they won by a point. Because they they'd beaten them over there a few weeks earlier, hadn't they? I reckon. Uh, from sorry. I, think, I think you're right. Uh, they then lost the semi-final by 68. Essendon lost 2019-55. Geelong lost 2018-29. West Coast won by two after extra time. Should we? In 2017, lost the semi-final by 67. 2016, North Melbourne lost by 62. North Melbourne 2015, they won by 17. They won the next week too, and they made the prelim coming from eighth, but they got done by six goals. Uh, 2014, Richmond lost by 57. I think that was the coin flip one at Port Adelaide that went pretty embarrassingly for them. Uh, 2013, Carlton, they won by 20 after finishing technically ninth. Uh, They lost their semi-final by four goals. North Melbourne in 2012 lost by 96 points. 2011, Essen lost by 62, and 2010, Carlton lost by five. So the average losing margin in that first game, 47.5 points. There have been four winners in that time, three lost the next week by an average of 56.6 points. So this it's fair the to eighth say best the team eighth, in the competition. Yeah, it's fair to say the eighth best team over the course of the entire home and away season is no chance of making up the forget, numbers. Forget winning it. It's not even hasn't even made a grand final. So that's the eighth ranked team. You're then trying to include the ninth and tenth potentially. Yeah, so again, you look at I'm you know, I'm probably against having a wild card. I don't, I don't see the merit in it, but if you are for the wild card, this is the year you'd want to be arguing for it. So again, if you're looking at that 7th versus 10th matchup, this year would be Carlton at, well, I think currently at the moment it'd be Carlton versus Bulldogs. Carlton with a percentage of 111% and the Bulldogs with 103%. So the the uh 10th place team actually has a higher percentage and has, you know, a better season record than the Bulldogs. But it's a rarity, uh, you know, across the season. And then obviously the season hasn't finished yet. But if you look at previous seasons, so, I mean, the smallest gap between 7th and 10th place has been almost 14 percentage points between the two teams. So that was uh, going back to 99. So West Coast, yeah, West Coast was 7th. They had a percentage of 109. Port Adelaide was uh, 10th with a percentage of 95%. That's the smallest gap we've seen between a 7th and 10th team. Um you know, a few years ago, there was it was up to a 32% difference between the 7th-place the team and the 10th-place team. So I heard Brett Ratton probably sum it up the best. We know AFL, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. I just can't see how a team that can be, you know, almost probably a game or two in terms of wins, plus another 30%, which is another game or two behind. So almost four or five games behind a team in 7th, and you're sort of still playing for that same spot in the finals. It defeats the whole 
purpose of having that 22 exactly. round season and, and the attrition that's you know that the clubs are trying to manage their list manage their players and get through the season it's almost like you can pinch a spot just come round 24 or round oh, 25 whatever we but call it but an extra it. game an extra final all this sort of stuff. I, I get need? the discussion I get the discussion but also isn't part of the appeal and the the magic of footy being Carlton in, in inside the top 8 until the very last round and you know 6pm on the Sunday and then, then all of a sudden they're out and they, I mean that that in terms and, of content, you can't script that. And it was the first time in 40... You know, we, we ran to the record books, and it was the first time since the team had done it since the 70s, which I think was Carlton as well, <laughs> spent the whole... So it's not like we see it every year where it's, mm. you know... But again, you, you get a different story every year. As I said, I think this year with rose-coloured glasses on, it all seems like 7th and 10th would be quite exciting to play. I think had we spoken about this three or four years ago, we would have said, I don't want to see the 10th team on TV in, in September. They're, they're finished. They're, their season's done. They need to rebuild for next year. Yet we're going to try to give them another game and pump up that. It might actually be a worse TV product. Who knows? There's a real misconception in the AFL. And we, we've, we've been saying this for years, really. But I really feel like 2016, the year the Dogs won it, is when everyone's really started to get behind it, saying how even the competition felt. There's a big difference between the competition being relatively even but the top team still being significantly better than those sort of fourth or fifth down to 11th or 12th. And to your point before, when you're reading out the how those teams had gone in finals, the, the eighth place teams, the further down you go, it's just going to get more and more bleak. And we know how hard it is for a team to win four finals. If you're now saying you've got to win five, that's, that's, that may as well be impossible. Some of those elimination final losses, you talk about um, uh, the Bombers losing to, I think, Port Adelaide as well in one of those ones. The, the Richmond, the, the, the coin flip one. Like, some of those were embarrassing. Mm. Uh, and, and, like, scarring finals for a lot of these fan bases and clubs. We don't want this to become the A-League where basically every team plays finals. I think this is ridiculous. Uh, what about when Tasmania theoretically comes in and, and, the, and potentially the 20th team? Is that when you come back and say, well, maybe we can expand it to, let's say, 10 teams? Because when the competition was a 16-team comp, eight were playing finals, that was mm. half. Uh, so 10 would be half of 20. Or is it still that, you know, if you're good enough, a top eight is enough? I think there's more merit in doing it and saying you have the traditional eight and then potentially two extras play some sort of wild card-ish just, thing. Well, but to me, wild... that's not a wild card. It's just another well, final. Exactly. So if we go to yes. a final 10, let's just call it a final 10. Let's yeah. not make up an American word wild card. <laughs> like, so I, I get expanding the finals when Tasmania comes in. But I still don't think we need a random wild card round. We have where, a ladder. Yeah. We don't. Ha- we don't have divisions. We don't have. It, it's just a ladder. So if you're exactly, I agree 100. percent And and the, the other thing is that we see it now with the NBA. So we the have the the playing tournament where uh, it's just a one-off game that then determines the seedings for the top eight, where they then play best of seven. But we don't have. We don't play best of seven. So what are the? What do we do? Play a, play a quarter. We're going to play one quarter between between seventh and. 10th or whatever and whoever wins that is now in final it's ridiculous I just think it's stupid I don't think there's any need to do it and it really feels like one of those things where a rule or something hasn't been changed for a while new people involved and it's like we've got to do something to justify the paycheck well we had uh, gather round added this year an extra game so there's already enough there's already nine there's enough footy, games and footy. every single year without fail we always get to about this point the three quarter mark of the year and you, and you, you kind of know who's good you kind of know who's not good Yes, the the those kind of bottom the bottom sort of five to nine those spots are still to be shuffled shuffled around, but you you you're just sort of waiting for finals now. I find. And so I how many more games do we really need? And I don't know how much this you know comes into their thinking, the AFL thinking, and, and everyone's trying to work at a wild card. But AFLW is going to expand their season 
eventually soon. So they might start playing in June or July. We will have more footy naturally on our screens. I'm, I'm a fan of AFLW, so I will sit there and watch the men's and the women's competition as, as it's running. Don't know how many people are like that. But again, you, you'll get more footy just based on AFLW growing. And, yep. For or against wild cards or an extra round of finals, uh, let us know at Footy Tips on Twitter. Uh, we like to talk about those in the competition, Christian, who are good kicks of the footy. Uh, and if I sort of said to you, Jake, off the top of your head, who are some of the best kicks in the, of, of the footy in the league? There are probably a few names that start to jump out at you. Maybe Jordan Dawson's Jordan up Dawson, there. Yeah. Uh, Errol Goulden's been been known to be a good kick. Ryan Myers, of course. The, the Leo Messi. Well, uh, yeah, that's that was a funny week. <laughs> uh, the Leo you know, all the goal assists that he sets up and, and the short kicks that he's good at. It's funny, though, when you say the best... Who are the best kicks in the AFL? I think the players you first think of, or well, at least I do, are kicks for goal. So oh, okay. players like Todd Marshall and... Um, uh, On the weekend, he wasn't. Sorry? Not on the weekend, he oh, wasn't. No, but, he's, but over his career, he certainly has been. Yes. Luke Bruce, yep. uh, Darcy Fogarty, these guys that are usually, usually sharpshooters. Well, we thought we'd put the question out to Christian, sort of more general, I guess, field kicks, the the competition's best kicks, because there has been a lot of talk about sort of, you know, some of the guys that we've talked about, but are these guys up there in terms of hitting their targets, maybe especially those inside 50? Are there stats that you can look at at Champion Data that can really kind of boil down that's not just kicking efficiency I mean, who's about who's the best kicks in the comp? Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned kicking efficiency. There, just that's just looking at how, again, it's the word efficiency, but it's actually measuring your effectiveness, which we sort of laugh about all the time. But it's basically how often you just hit a target. So if I try to kick to someone five meters away and I hit the target, I get 100% efficiency. So easy kicks, easy, easy to rack up the numbers. So we introduced kick rating on top of that, which is taking into account how much pressure you're under, how hard the kick is, how far the ball's got to travel to get there, and and how you do that based on the AFL average. So. I know we've spoken about that um, a fair bit, and you're, you're sort of right. If you look at just all, you know, anyone to have at least 100 kicks this year and rate them by kick rating, they're all going to end up in the forward half of the ground. So Tom Hawkins has the best kick rating of anyone uh, in the competition this year. Dane Zorko, who's second, he's a mid-forward for Brisbane, so they get him out of the centre. Uh, third, Scott Pendlebury, who's just a gun, you know. You know my thoughts on Scott Pendlebury, so uh, still one of the best kicks. And then Taylor Walker and Jack Lacosha sort of round out your top five. So mm. clubs know that. You, you want to get your best kicks as close to goal as possible because that's that's where their value comes from. But again, we can look at, you know, look at your kicking around the ground versus shots at goal. We can look at your kicking long versus short. So again, I think your query, Matt, sort of started with Errol Goulden had caught your eye from the weekend. You sort of wanted to see where he, Loves he, him. Oh, he ranked yeah. and rated. So Again, I looked at it, and, and when the query came through, I thought, geez, I don't think he's come up high on our kick rating often. Like, it's not a name I've come across. I know he was in, he's, in, he's about negative point, negative uh, 2% across the season, I think, for hitting uh, the it, 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 it is funny how some players just get is this. the left footer thing? I don't know what it is, but like a lefty that hits well, targets. Josh so, Kelly was always, was always this player yeah. for many years, which is he's the Rolls Royce. And he, and he turned it over every second kick. But so again, looking at, looking at, at, at the, you know, the top 200 kicks for you know trying to go short and trying to go long. So that's probably where the numbers sort of stand out for Errol Goulden. So when he goes long, so when he kicks the ball over 40 metres, he has the seventh highest kick rating of anyone in the competition. So really hard kicks. He hits. He hits and hard. They're probably targets. the ones you notice more. They're the ones, the ones you notice. Inside like fifty yeah. from the wing. Or, but when yeah. he goes short, he's actually the second worst in the competition, with only Brad Crouch lower than him. Good so job. he actually, he actually <laughs> where, when, he, when he tries to go twenty or thirty meters, he actually uh, misses the target more often right? than he hits. So, what, so, so the definition of a short kick being under forty meters. So again, mm. we, we got you know uh, under forty meters or over forty meters. What you're trying to do um, and your intention. So, you so when he intends like to go long, he hits the target, but. We, yeah, we do. We, we do have chip, short, and long. But when I look at the numbers here, I've just got it broken up into anything short under and long. A long. But we, we do have we do have another one where it's like zero to twenty meters, 
20 to 40 and 40 plus, but I've yeah, wrapped okay. up zero to 40 altogether. 39 meter kick seems like reasonable kick. It's not short. It's not yeah, exactly. Short kick. Exactly. It's a, um, you got to you got to draw the line. That's somewhere, kind though. of bizarre though. Like for a player to rank so high in one category and so low in in another. Yeah, and I think again, it's it's probably the value that he gets from Sydney on the wing. In, in he can move their ball directly, and that, that's probably the the number that you want to be higher is your, probably your long kicking if you want to be a damaging player. So as I said, he can send the ball down the line and hit a valuable target to get the ball moving. Whereas, yeah, if he's sort of trying to go sideways, backwards or short, just to get it, usually he'd probably be kicking like that when you're under a lot more pressure and, and you're kicking to a shorter target so there's more opposition players around you. But as I said, it's quite funny that he is so good at going long but yet so bad at going short. Mm. That is interesting. Uh, another stat that you guys use at Champion Data is called kick long to advantage, which is basically a 40 or more, a 40 plus metre kick uh, to an uncontested mark. Yeah, Who are the this, players that... Oh, go on. Yeah, this, this stat is one of the original stats. So it's a 1999 stat. It's always been called, I think, Ted Hopkins, who founded Champion Data. It was one of his base crucial stats is if you can kick the ball long to an uncontested teammate, that's the most valuable kick you can have. So we track kick long to advantage and, and they've clearly gone down since we started in 1999. You know, the leader might've been about three or four per game. You'd have guys kicking from half back to guys standing along, alone on the wing. I was going to say, now we congestion. It doesn't happen many. So mm. especially valuable these days. Yeah. Um, so again, when you look at the best kick um, inside 50, it comes up as Jordan Dawson. When you look at the best kicks long to advantage, which is a totally different number, it's Jordan Dawson again. So if you talk about one of the best kicks in, in the competition, Jordan Dawson comes up for that money kick, hitting a target inside 50. But then around the ground, he's able to hit targets 40 metres away that are uncontested. So that's yeah, hitting a guy either on the lead or standing out on their own. And as I said, he's done it 18 times this year. So it works out to about one per game. So it's it's not a common kick. You probably only see a team do it three or four times it's per game. It's noticeable when it happens, though. But exactly. And they're they're the kicks that if someone can hit that and you see it two or three times in a row, you go... He's the best kick in the competition because they're the kicks that really, yeah, burn a hole in your is memory. Do, do, well, are we all in agreement that he that he is right now? Uh, that's Jordan Dawson. Mm. Well, that's what I mean. He comes as as I said, the kick rating he doesn't come up high in. He's sort of mid table, but in terms of just hitting the target, so you know, hitting long targets away, hitting targets inside fifty, finding a mark inside fifty, he is the best kick going around. Uh, some other names on that list uh, in in terms of uh, kicks long to advantage. So second to him was, yeah, quite a surprise for me, is Will Powell at Gold Coast, who mm, I love him. I, I love him as an interceptor. He always mm. gives a contest, very rarely beaten in a one-on-one. That is what I look at Will Powell and his strengths are. Then I sort of went away and said, well, he's had 17 kick long to advantage where he's actually sending the ball out of Gold Coast back line to probably an uncontested teammate on the half-forward line, so in a in really valuable position. So he's a surprise. Bailey Dale and Tom Stewart are equal third at 16. So again, a lot of Bailey Dales will be from that kick-in. Um, is it a 40-metre kick forward, or is it any 40-metre no, kick? No, it's got to have some sort of forward momentum on it. So again, so if, if you, you go 40 metres sideways, we'll call that a short kick sometimes. So we do have a, a rule that you've got, okay. to, got to sort of be an attacking kick. So if you go 40 metres backwards, it's a backwards kick. It'll go down as a short sort of yeah. target. So there's some other names here. So Dacos Smith, as in I think that's Brody Smith. Uh, Zach Tui and Shannon Hearn yep. all, on all on 15. So there's a theme here that, yeah. that if you've got good distributors sort of on the back line or pushing up to the wing, yep. they're Which, the guys that obviously had the space to kick to. Firstly. And again, Jordan Dawson is, was originally, is the only centre-bounce midfielder yeah. in those so, names. But so you look at his history. taken his skills and, yeah. and translated that to 30, 40 metres further up well, the, the ground. Well, the further you go towards goal, the harder it's going to be to find an uncontested player with a 40-metre kick. Yeah, correct. Yeah, uh, all the more power to the players that can pull them off because they are increasingly hard to do in terms of how defensive do we, do we defense dare, is set up. Do we dare look at the other end of the spectrum? 
Oh, do we have time? Do we have those stats on hand? I don't know. Quickly, well, quickly. I just just quickly, the worst <laughs> kick rating was a surprise to me. I, I thought it was I had Oscar McInerney, but realised I'd accidentally filtered out one of the players. Andrew Gaff is now the lowest <sighs> kick rating in the competition, Jeez, so we know he's probably yeah he's probably hasn't had the greatest year in form wise, and he's also just yeah his kicking's uh, um, dropped away as well. It, he's just he's a nothing player now. Mm. Started as the sub on the weekend as well. Mm. Time up coming at the West Coast. Would another club want him? Well. Potentially, I mean, big contract, actually, but I, I don't. Is there another club that he's getting a get? Based on what we're seeing right now, is there another club that would be giving him a game? Maybe North. Wow. North was originally one of the well, teams he was linked thing. to yeah. back, back in the day when he was almost up for trade. He, he felt, he he felt bad and stayed. Oh, what a what a sliding doors mm-hmm. moment that is. 100%. Uh, interesting stuff. Um, North Melbourne. Speaking of the Kangaroos, so interim coach Brett Ratton has now said twice in the last three days, or as much as said twice in the past three days that the club was basically going to be asking for another assistance package from the AFL. So you remember last year they were given uh, some picks, so a second and a third rounder for this year's draft to trade, which they... Which they had to trade. Well, they couldn't use them on players, basically. Yeah. So they've, they've, they turned them into Griffin Logue, Darcy Tucker, and, a, and they swapped third rounders or something like that uh, with Fremantle. Uh, so they got some assistance last year, but 15 straight losses, Jake. This is... You know, we talk about how they started so brightly and there was, you know, talk about how they might not be as, as bad or as um, on the same level as West Coast, but these are two teams that are really struggling right now. 15 straight losses for the Roos. They are 966-1 since round 2, 2020. Not good. I, wow. If you go into the footy every week knowing that you're going to... If you're going every week to the footy as a North fan, well done. Congratulations. And, and I mean that wholeheartedly. And you talk about us being Carlton fans. We've been through some of those tough times, but this is really, really grim. Um, but I don't know. Priority packages, priority picks, all this kind of stuff. Um, it's brought up that conversation again. Mm. This is a team that's not even on the bottom of the ladder. Yeah, so I had a very interesting chat with our uh, good friend and colleague, Ron Connolly, uh, yesterday, actually. We were talking about this. We had a good discussion about Well, this. actually, the um, the debate club column this week, which is on the website, espn.com.au yep. forward slash AFL. Good plug. Uh, this exact topic. So, um, yeah, we were talking about priority picks and how it first got introduced into the into the AFL. And obviously, Rowan, uh, Rowan was fully immersed in the AFL when that happened. And he was sort of saying that, so it was a. It used to be over a three-year period. It used to be if you won fewer than twenty-five percent of games over a three-year period, you're entitled to a priority pick. Then it was changed to a one-year, just a one-off. So you could have one bad was, year. There was some piss taking, and happening. that was exact a hundred percent. So that was wrong. So so I don't think both were were right. I think what we have now, where it's sort of up to the discretion of the league to sort of say, yeah, you've been average for a long enough period of time. It's probably better. But then what is that? And and how long how how poor do you have to be for what time frame to to basically be entitled to a priority pick? There is no number anymore. I tend to think you can't you can't have played finals in the last sort of eight years. You've got to be eight in years. yeah, I it's think a long time. Yeah, but I think you've got to be in the the footy wilderness for a long time. And we, you mentioned it before when we were going through those teams that finished eighth. North Melbourne was one of them. Twenty fifteen, they made a prelim. 2016, they played finals. And 2018, they they just missed out. They finished ninth. So as poor as they've been over the last four and a half seasons, it's not been... It, it feels like they've been worse for a longer period of time than they actually have. I'm not against ruling out priority picks completely like Rowan is. And as you said, you, you can read Rowan's um, pretty strong opinion on this in the debate club this week. But 
I think there's another year or two to go before we, we actually give North more more assistance because, as you said, the AFL did throw a bone their way last year. The the thing, the interesting thing for me, and I, I look at a club like West Coast as well because there's been the discussion about whether they deserve a priority pick. And and you got to look back a bit and sort of see how much of this could have been prevented. A and lot. Club, clubs are always hesitant to do preventative measures to avoid bottom uh, to avoid um to avoid or to sorry to avoid dropping immediately in mm. terms of they would want to like prolong their window. So you look at West Coast, obviously won a flag, tried to keep going, re-signed a lot of these veterans, one of the older top or sort of, sort of like old top heavy lists in the comp, especially, um, you know, last year when they still had blokes like um, Josh Kennedy around, like Michael Carr before that, all these kind of things. So they, they've, they, they refuse to either understand that eventually things would go, go down and they would have to either use players for currency or anything like that. They, mm. they did chips in and just said, ah, oh, we'll, we'll just keep going. And we, you know, if we fall off a cliff, we fall off a cliff. So a lot of this was self-inflicted yeah. in, in terms of West Coast. So what the AFL kind of needs to consider, and this is where I'm kind of with Rowan and just, just scrap them all together. There's enough... Completely. In, there, no there's enough in the draft right. for... There's enough... Con- well, not concessions, but there's enough equalization measures in yeah. place. The, the salary cap, the draft, all the kind of stuff that if you're West Coast this year and you could potentially... Well, you would probably have the number one pick. Um, you can package that out and get two or that's, three picks inside the top 15 or 20. And that's exactly what I look at at North. So you look at last year, last offseason, they were given two priority picks uh, and had to trade them away and turn that into Griffin Logan, Darcy Tucker, who, who were playing were probably about of their best 22, but weren't going to sort of elevate the club to, to top eight or anything. But North actually had the better offseason because of the move they did themselves. And and it was sort of, the hand was forced because Jason Horn Francis wanted to go home, but they were able to, with their wheeling and dealing, switch them around and yeah. end up with Sheasel and Wardlaw. And I think they've got another first round or second round to use this year from that same trade as well. So, Plus their selection. I'm you big can't on, ask these guys to I'm be big on, here yeah, and, and again, it, you know, we're talking about North being, you know, down the bottom and needing an assistant pick. But I think looking at that one off season, I think they've nailed it. It's too, it's too early to see the fruit and, mm. and the benefits of it now. But they nailed it, making the right hard decision themselves. I think clubs. I'm, I'm with Matt. Clubs need to make a lot more brutal decisions because just handing out free picks it, it doesn't help anybody. I don't really know if it helps yep. North. Because, I think clubs need foresight. Yeah, Met, and again, just, the, other, the other thing yeah. with the picks is like you can you can give any club a, a heap of selections, but it's up to the club to actually pick the right players. If if a club is at the bottom of the ladder for five, six, seven years, and we say, oh, we've got to give them the priority pick, but the picks that they've got, they're just taking the wrong players or they're not, you know, okay, pick one is going to be a good player. But if but if their next selection, they're just not picking the right players, that's up, that's on them. Like, you can't just keep throwing picks until you eventually pick players that are going to help turn your club around. The other thing with this whole instance, which would just be farcical if North Melbourne were to get a priority selection this year, is that they might, they're, they're probably not going to finish bottom of the ladder. Yeah. So how can the team that that you I say you're terrible, you're getting a priority pick, but you weren't even the worst. And this team is where the there's league. no formula involved with the AFL. Yeah. It's, it's it's all a vibe thing, quite yeah. unquote. I mean, so the last true priority pick being like the number one pick was Matt Rowell, 2019. 2019. Yeah. Uh, so Gold Coast got one and two, Rowell and Anderson. Uh, and I do think Gold that, Coast was... is a is a little bit of a different beast, given that back the, I I will say they're an expansion club for the first 10 years. They're not an expansion club anymore, but 2019 yes. they still felt like it and they didn't need the assistance. I mean many will argue they still need the assistance. But they're few and far between. So the one before that was Tom Scully. Yeah. Talking back 2009. Hmm. So it's not like the AFL just just wheels these out anymore, but I think it's just time to shut the door on any assistance packages and just say there are means to which you can avoid being 
bad, especially if you are good, which North had been, as we pointed out in previous years. Mm. They were a, they were a prelim prelim team. They were a finals making team. They were they were in and amongst it. I think it's the onus is, should be on the clubs to be smarter in their list management and their decision making. And if you need to trade out someone who's twenty nine and still got three good years of footy ahead of them to make sure that you don't end up as a basket case, do it. The 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 anti West Coast. I agree a hundred percent. I think drafting and list management are the two most important things at a football club. Yep. I, I think that's that's fair. Anyway, uh, if you agree with us or disagree, let us know again on Footy Tips or uh, J, uh, J Michaels ESPN on Twitter. Oh, don't don't come at me. <laughs> uh, at Matt Walsh Media on Twitter if you feel like go, that. Um, speaking in. of Twitter, we got an interesting follow on the Footy Tips Ooh, account the other day. Who? Mario Jolly. Does that name ring a bell? It does. <laughs> Who's <laughs> that? Hi. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, I thought that was familiar. Didn't even know he had Twitter. There you go. Welcome well, he's to Twitter. Twitter, and he's um he's listening to the pod, so he must be Good he man. must have signed up to uh to stay updated on uh, at footy. I say, I say at footy tips on Twitter a lot on this pod. You do, so you do. eventually someone's got someone's to, someone's got to click the button. <laughs> uh, a fellow blue bagger. No, Richmond. Wow. So I, I was right Richmond. Household. I was Richmond. He's not Mario from Doncaster. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, yeah, so he, I was, I was Richmond till I was five. So what? again, I, I was, I was what born. I, hang on, hang on. So I, was, I was born in eighty one. So by the start of nineteen eighty seven, so show my age a little bit. But by the start of nineteen eighty seven, I was a full blown Carlton supporter. My dad did not put up a fight, so I think he knew how bad of Richmond, how how tough it was time for him to follow Richmond. Yeah, he actually let me walk to another club. He, there wasn't much fight put up. All right. Who, who's, so who's, seen, you, who's seen the most success? Do you think he's probably well, your Richmond. old man now? Yeah, he's overtaken me. You so would have, he, you and would he have been winning all, for a while, so and he was there in 1980 when they were winning premiership. So he, okay. yeah, he's seen. So more you're saying you you became a a Carlton supporter in 1987? Yeah. So you've seen two flags, and you could have had three with the Tigers. Yeah. Bad decision. Uh, <laughs> no, at least I was at one of I wasn't. I was at one of which ones I suppose. Yeah, I was at ninety five. So uh, and was, yeah, ninety nine prelim makes it makes it all <laughs> a worth lot of being Carlton a Carlton fans supporter. Hang their hat on that. Uh, I was six and I was there and I remember it. You were uh, there. That was good fun. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Good. Way up in the in the bleachers of the I think it was the northern stand at that point. Not anymore. You're uh, you're front and center MCC now. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> one stat from every game we go through. We might need to actually hurry through these because we've got a fair bit to get through. But uh, the key stat from every game. So we look at uh, where the game was won and lost for every game on the weekend. You know what we got? Just I know we're, I'm set on we're short on time, but we're um, getting a lot of momentum for two shows a week. Let's do it for finals. Oh, I'd do it every week. If, if the well, firstly we need to get it ticked off by champion data, question. it would be a what, Tuesday or a Monday and a Thursday. I, I do we dare shift from the Tuesday? I mean, Tuesday's this, this is a, this is a, an offline topic if ever there was one. Oh, but no. do we dare shift from the Tuesday? If you have any thoughts, please at Footy Tips on Twitter. Um, we're happy to do. Well, I'm happy to do two a week. It's I, whether we can convince Champion Data. I, I must admit, I've I've watched uh, the Peyton, the uh, the Mannings, yes, Peyton and yes. Eli Manning when they watch football. I'm thinking, geez, it would be great to sit there and watch a football game with Jake, <laughs> just watching a live game and seeing it, seeing your yeah, live not reaction. Not Disney safe. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Swans and the Dogs on Thursday night. Uh, where do you want to start with that one? Yeah, so the Dogs are just a frustrating one. So the Dogs. You know what you're going to get from them in terms of disposal. They're going to win the ball, but it's just what they do, you know, whether they put the score on the scoreboard or they can stop scoring. So even in this game, they were plus 51 for disposals, plus 21 for contested possessions, plus 43 for uncontested possessions. So just dominated the ball. But Sydney actually out-pressured them in all four quarters. Um, and basically the Bulldogs, yeah, just couldn't move the ball. So they had so much of the ball. But, yeah, 78 back half chains for the Bulldogs turned into 11 inside 50s. Uh, which is 15%. Sydney themselves did it at 31% of the time on the night, which is comp average. But 
It's just what the Bulldogs, again, you look at the Bulldogs stat sheet and they're really sexy in high numbers, but then you actually watch what they've produced on the field and they just don't sort of move the ball quick enough from that half back. And, and, and as I said, they, their, their pressure from the Swans just it sort of forced them just to go around in circles for half the night. Mm. Uh, Demons on the Lions, what a cracker that was. They, uh, the Best old game of the year? First to 100 rule again in tatters. There have been a couple of times this year, I think there have been some close ones where both teams have scored 100 uh, mm. off the top of my head. But uh, Dee's probably played about 30 minutes of decent footy. Uh, First the 15, last 15. And the last 15. Mm. Uh, and somehow came away with a win. Does that say... Another loss for the Lions at the G. Just one of those sort of cursy things that just can't sort of let up. Max Gorn, uh, easily best on ground. Um, uh, easily? Petrarca, 26 and 4. Oh, I think... I think Gorn gets I it. I still think Gorn, Gorn gets, gets it, it. But I don't yeah. So, yeah, for, for Max Gorn, it was just amazing that, you know, for... Grundy goes out and you think Max Gorn's probably going to have a better game. He's going to be better than he has. He had a career best game. So he had the second most rating points he's ever had and the most ranking points he's ever had in a game. So it wasn't just that his form had gotten better from 2023. It was actually one of the best performances he's, he's ever had. But that, like, I know I'm quite critical of Ruckman, as you guys know, but that really does feel like his first real A game a to A plus game of the year. I, I don't think he's had many games remotely close. Yeah, to no, this. no, he's, he's been, he's been down compared yeah. to his yeah. usual output. I think. I think. But I mean, look, if you if you want to talk about his stat line, you talked about Petrarca's stat lines. Twenty nine disposals, twenty one contested possessions, uh, thirty nine hitouts, ten clearances, uh, and a really really impressive goal as well. I think it was in the third term uh, to kind of keep him in touch. But like that's one of the one of the best performances I can remember from a big man. Seven tackles as well. Oof. Good effort. Yeah. yeah, and just looking at from the Lions' point of view, so you sort of spoke about how they were they were blown out of the water in that first quarter, um, and then did quite well in the second and probably third quarter. The the main thing for them, I think, going forward, and you talk about the MCG hoodoo, that second quarter shows what they needed to do. First quarter they took sixteen marks. Second quarter they took forty three. So we know Brisbane are a very high stoppage team, like to sort of play down the lines. I think at the MCG they need to start to use the width more and and actually use yeah use a lot more of the ground, which is what they did in that second quarter. It's how. Frio and a few other teams have beaten Melbourne at the G. So I think for Brisbane, they need to go back and watch that second and third quarter and sort of try to try they to emulate a bit more again. of that you get, yeah, in the final. I reckon you could have got some pretty tasty odds on Joe Danaher being the highest disposal winner for the Lions in that game. Yeah, 24. Fair, yeah. fair effort. Uh, the Pies, probably as expected, too strong for the Dockers. And, and we've talked about first quarter teams and, and last quarter teams in particular, but the Dockers were one of the worst going into this great game and the Pies were one Terrible. of the better first quarter teams. Uh, what probably wasn't as one way or one side as we first thought, yeah, but the was, Pies were... Was, I was sat there and sort of watched the game and thought, first quarter is where I'm going to make my call on this game, whether it's going to be a good game or a bad game. It was... Uh, I think the the Dockers were just lost the um, the first quarter three goals two to four one so they were only slightly behind same amount of still lost the first quarter again and I just thought <laughs> well if Frio are on for the first quarter and and they've been able to match with Collingwood we could have a game on our hands here then all of a sudden Collingwood just turn out and have their best ever second quarter for the year and basically just smash them away in, in that quarter um, and yeah I think it was sort of like. Uh, 47 disposals Fremantle had for that quarter, which is the equal second fewest in a quarter from Oof. anyone. So I think the, the lowest quarter was a wet game of footy where the opposition only had 70 or 80 mm. disposals as well. So it was a low disposal quarter. Whereas this one, it was it was just all Collingwood. For one whole quarter, Collingwood just dominated possession of the ball. Um, and yeah, as I said, the the third quarter, it came back to a typical Collingwood sort of, you know, if we listen to last week's pod, I think we sort of spoke about quarter by quarter. Collingwood go really high in the first quarter and the fourth quarter, but the second and third quarters are usually quite even. This game was a bit different. It was even in the first quarter. They smashed him in the second quarter. But again, in the third quarter, we had it was two goals, two to two goals, one. So it's just the, the ability for Collingwood just to take away half an hour of football and just sort of 
just I don't know relax the tempo in a game and sort of they don't score they don't concede scores well, and exa- then they but they almost conserve their energy because then they smash you again in the last quarter that's so. exactly it it's when they're not scoring mm. it's not disastrous because they're not conceding mm. so they can sort of have those patches where they're not playing their best offensive footy and it doesn't hurt them uh, Suns and the Saints geez pretty stiff of St Kilda to come up against uh, as we sort of said the dead cat bounce but uh, two kings involved in this game and probably not the two we would have thought sort of three or four weeks ago uh, but a win for Stephen King uh, in in, uh, in on the Gold Coast and a win for the Suns. And they are still somehow, despite sacking their coach, in finals contention. Yeah, can't say I uh, when I was doing the, the Brownlow votes for this one, can't say I've ever had a game where Rory Atkins and Sam Flanders were vying for the three. But um, it's it's a good sign for the Suns. A few more contributors. Yeah, that's exactly. We talked about Flanders a few weeks ago, and he's he's had a, a yeah. He's sort of. Year. I mean, they've been good in the in the They two. were putting him in the center bounce uh, combos early in the season, but exactly that he probably he was probably one of the first ones dropped. I think him Fiorini. They're sort of trying to get him in the midfield, but they haven't had a great long run in there. Uh, but yeah, he had career high disposals. Uh, Flanders did, uh, and uh, you spoke about Rory Atkins again. They paid a fair bit of money for, to get him across as a free agency, and he finally sort of had the game that they've been paying for, but. The, the one thing I looked at the Suns, it's the, the one word that I looked at when I was watching it was just connection. Just their ability to f- keep finding teammates every time they flicked the ball over. They had they had guys out in space. So, again, you look at their retention rate from disposals, it was 74% of the disposals went to a teammate. That's their highest percentage uh, in any game this year. And it's sort of coming into the game, they were they were averaging 60 or 66.5% retention rate, which was 18th uh, in the competition. So, again, they... they Sort of were a messy team that relied on stoppages and winning contests, but oh, yeah. sort of didn't didn't maintain possession of the ball. Um, but yeah, on on the weekend it was just that pure ball movement. They were able to sort of. It's hard to do that against a Ross Lyon team, but every time they just sort of got a kick forward or a handball out, they had they had an extra guy out. Um, so I just thought, yeah, the connection was one thing I noticed, and then two, you sort of talk about dead cap bounce and application and 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 players just trying harder. It was their highest tackle efficiency in a game. This year, so I think a few weeks ago on the pod we spoke about mm. what a tackle efficiency is. It's basically getting your hands to a guy and affecting a disposal or stopping a disposal from happening. See, that's so, an interesting one. That really feels like an effort-based thing. Which yeah, is tackle efficiency. To, yeah, yeah, which really feels like a coach has gone. Let's give a bit more effort. Yeah. This so week. to me, yeah, just watching the scene, they were they're a lot more in your face. But when they had the ball, they sort of had a lot more options and were able to find teammates a lot better than they have in the past. Uh, yes. We talked about ball movement. The Blues versus the Power. Carlton's ball movement is is looking a lot better. You talk about um, disposals per shot at goal uh, in your little bit here, but but also things like their pressures up as well. Smothers are doing well. Carlton are looking rather irresistible. Yeah. So we we'll go on the uh, disposals per uh, shot. So. Across the year coming into the game, there were 40 disposals for every shot at goal that they had, which was the third worst in the competition. So it basically took them 40 kicks or handballs for every score that they got. On the weekend, it was nine. Uh, so that was for goal. So it was about 10.6 disposals per shot, um, which was one of the lowest games of any team for the season. And it is something that Port and Geelong dominate in. Port and Geelong are very low disposal teams that do, do generate scores on the scoreboard. Whereas Carlton, we've seen some games where... Carlton have had 400 disposals and kicked seven goals and things like that, but they finished with about 330 odd disposals and kicked 18 goals on the weekend. So, um, yeah, a lot the biggest more. surprise result of the year. Even the outs put Adelaide had. Yeah, again, I, I sort of, I didn't. They were favourite going didn't into the tip, game. I didn't tip Carlton, but I did say to um, someone on Thursday night, I said this is a game we probably should win. Looking at the looking at the teams but on 50 paper, points. I know, not by that much. And you sort of went well. Looking at teams on paper, never it's never that easy to judge a game and Port are the second-best team in it. But, 
Yeah, the little one for me that I noticed was, yeah, the smothers. So again, watched it with my son and sort of said, I feel like when, I know when Cullen's up and about when there's just those little smothers and you actually turn them into, not only do you just get a smother, but you turn that into a possession and some momentum going forward. And I sort of, they put up the number, I think they were at 12 or 13. I thought, gee, that's a high number. I looked into it. They finished with 16, which is an equal club record, but I was a week late to the party. They also had 16 last week against Frio. So the last two weeks, um, they've set, you know, an equal club record for smothers. It's wow. just the little things that you can just tell when a team's on. Uh, the Cats and the Bombers, talking about teams that are on, the Dons were not on. Uh, this is... Uh, Classic Essendon against, against the Cats. I was going to say, against the Cats, they had these slow starts. Tomahawk has kicked 13 goals against them this year, so 8-5. and five. Uh, Dons didn't record a, a mark inside 50 until halfway through the third term. Yeah. And that's, that is typical playing Geelong at GMHBA Stadium. So they dominate territory down there. They don't let you sort of move the ball from their back half. And we sort of, if we spoke about Essendon on the podcast previously, it's always been about how they've relied on pure ball movement. They haven't won. They've probably, I think they're in the bottom four or five for territory this year for inside 50 differential. So the ball's never at their end of the field, but they're so good at moving it end to end. Geelong just strangled them. So again, Geelong scored 105 points directly from turnovers across the game, which is the third most. Um, and a lot of those were just from forward half turnovers. So I think Essendon ended up turning the ball over 35 times in their back half, which is their most in any game this season. Um, and you look at the time in forward half, it was plus 30 minutes and 27 seconds. So basically an extra quarter that Geelong had the ball in their forward half for, which is the biggest differential in any game this year. But yeah, if you had asked me to predict in that game, I would have said, well, Geelong's going to dominate territory. It's just where the Essendon can get out of there. Uh, and they were. They were just stuck in their back half. Jake, question without notice for you. Max Holmes was taken with pick 20 in the 2020 uh, draft. Mm-hmm. Where, w- If you were to redo the 2020 draft... Oh, I'd have to have a look at, the, at some all of the, names. the names again. But, I mean, he's clearly a top tenner now. No doubt well, about it. Well, let's go through the names above him. Finley McRae? Better. Angle- in, Ryan Anglin? H- Holmes. 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 Ollie Henry? Holmes. Lockie Jones? Holmes. Connor Stone? Holmes. Heath Chapman? Holmes. Tom Powell? Holmes. Tanner Bruin? Holmes. Luke Pedler? Holmes. Zach Reed. Holmes. Archie Perkins. Holmes. Nick Cox. Holmes. Elijah Hollins. Holmes. Denver Granger Barras. <laughs> Holmes. Braden Gee, Cam- number one. Braden Campbell at number five. Uh, Holmes, I think. Logan McDonald, number four. Tough because it depends what you're sort of looking for. I can yeah. see that one going either way. Will Phillips. Holmes. Riley Thilthorpe. Similar to before. And Jamara. Yeah, he's a top. He's top four, easily top four. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Adelaide versus the Do you Giants. Disagree? No, no, I'd have him right up there. I've been really hot on him the last yeah. eighteen months. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think. La- yeah, exactly. The last eighteen months. I think what he did probably in the second half of the year last year, when Geelong went on that run, he was one of the most important mm. players. And I, I probably didn't expect it to come that quickly, but he was very good last year. Very unlucky to miss the grand final. Obviously, um, keen to get one. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Adelaide versus the Giants. A little bit of deja vu for the Crows going up against the Giants and then the Giants storming home. Yeah, exactly. The second yeah. time this year. So Was that round one? Yeah. Yeah. And then looking at the Crows, so this year they've been behind uh, at three-quarter time five times this year and, and, and haven't come back to win any of them. But they've also given up the most three-quarter time leads of any team. So again, that, that their up and downness in the final quarters is just uh, something that they haven't been able to control all year. So... Um, but looking at the Giants, they've actually, they surprised me. So the Giants are four and eight when they've been behind at three-quarter time across the last two years. Really? Um, only Port Adelaide and Collingwood have had as many three-quarter time comebacks in, Gee, in those two years. So GWS, and again, we spoke about it uh, last week. They're sort of, they 
their best quarter, their best record in any quarter is the fourth quarter, and their best time in any quarter is usually after the time on period. So they do finish things off stronger. Mm. Um, but yeah, just across the game, I think they turn it into a scrap. Uh, so Kingsley and the Giants they usually average the second fewest stoppages per game. I think we saw the third most of any game this round um, in this in this match, and 170 tackles were laid between the two teams, which is the second most. So I think that was GWS really trying to sort of compress the ball, keep it in close and beat them at contest and, and they were able to do that in the end. Getting a bit lost in the, the discussion with teams like Carlton, Richmond and Adelaide in terms of finals aspirations, but the Giants sitting ninth, 36 points, percentage of 99.4, they have a chance? They're certainly a chance. Might come down to the last round, I think they've got Carlton. Yeah, you you're pretty hot on them at the start of the year, you like what you saw in pre-season. Yeah, and again, just the way he, what Kingsley had brought in and they... I think to me they're they're impressive in terms of sh- they've shown they can win different ways. So the start of the year was that ha- high handball ball movement from half back, then they started to win contest, and then when they started to lose contest, they got their ball movement back again. So yeah, they've been able to switch things up and sort of as I said, they've been able to switch their style to be able to stay in. Any they've been in probably every game they've played this year at some stage. Uh, North and the Hawks. Uh- Look, North were in that for a little bit, and then and Hawthorne, I think they're just a, a clear step above the two teams below them. Uh, yeah. But a lot of the stats that you're going to read out are actually a, probably a very good case for a priority or assistance package. Well, I'll, I'll start with what you just said about the, you know, Hawthorne have been wrapped up with, we're talking about three bad teams this year and the three worst teams we've ever seen. Well, Hawthorne have come up against North and West Coast and conceded eight shots at goal and nine shots at goal. So eight shots to North Melbourne and nine. They're the, they're the only two games this year where a team hasn't had 10 shots at goal. Wow. And they've both been against Hawthorne. Uh, I think one of them was at, with, with Sicily. Uh, I think Sicily did play against the Hawthorne play, yeah. game. Yeah. So again, you don't think of Hawthorne being this strong defensive team, but when they've come up against the teams that are considered in the same basket as them, they've, they've clearly been a, just a class above in terms of the ability to win the ball, maintain possession and sort of not allow the other team to score. So 70 inside 50s for the Hawks in this game. Uh, second week in a row that North Melbourne's conceded uh, 70 inside 50s. They conceded that many to Geelong at GMHBA Stadium. But if you have a look at their last four weeks, they've conceded 276 inside 50s in their last four weeks. There's only sort of three teams that have been worse than that. That was Gold Coast in 2018, GWS in 2012, and Gold Coast again in 2016 have had worse four-week period so uh, uh sorry and brisbane 2016 were also down there as well so again just the last four weeks they've just yeah the, the midfield has just leaked entries and just put their back six under immense pressure uh and the final game of the week west coast and richmond probably not the percentage boost that richmond would have been off i, I know this sounds a bit disrespectful to the eagles but they are What's the reality well they are behind uh, in terms of percentage of a lot of the teams that are on similar points to them and there are four teams that have a draw that are still in contention for finals so percentage does matter for the tigers and they only i mean only were able to win by i think it was 38 points in the end but uh we're still quite dominant in a number of statistical areas yeah i think eagles again matched them so you look at the midfield zone and these are, these are from eagles point of view so they were plus nine contested of possessions plus 10 ground ball plus two tackles only negative one for inside 50s negative one for uncontested possessions so both had the same amount of ball in the midfield if not west coast had slightly more but it was just down you know the tigers took 22 marks inside 50 for the game i think west coast took 11 um 43 percent of the kicks that richmond sent inside 50 were marked by a teammate which is the highest percentage of any team in a game mm-hmm. this year so that's where west coast fell apart is when Richmond did get a look at, at an inside 50, they were able to find a target. And I sort of looked at it, I thought that's probably a damning stat for West Coast because their back six was made up of Barras, Witherden, Duggan, Hearn, McGovern, and the one youngster in Brady Hoff. But it's almost experienced. their most experienced part of the ground was the one that 
as I said, the midfield seemed to do to have done their job, but the defense just was too easy to score against on the day. It probably did feel like their best team of the year, though. That was out yeah. there. Yeah, it's building slowly, very Cal- slowly. Carlton this week upset on the cards. Oh no! Last time they played it was 108 points over yeah. there. Yeah, Charlie Kerner kicked nine, I think, that game. Uh, we're getting into red time of this podcast, sponsored by Subway, which means it's time for Is the Hype Justified or Is It Hyperbole? Jake, good to have you back for this segment. Uh, the Blues are making finals after their fourth straight 50-point win. Uh, I think it's justified. Yeah. So, like I said off the top of this episode, I mean, you talk about a crazy rollercoaster 12 months with Carlton. Uh, I think after probably four or five weeks, everyone had the Blues penciled in for finals, and then it was just a horrific middle patch of the season and I remember standing in this exact spot saying no probably two months ago saying the Blues season could be over at the bye yes and we got to the bye and we thought it's over (laughs) but all of a sudden there's a pulse again and Uh, I think right now it's more likely Carlton make finals and miss and their skip has been instrumental in the in the turnaround I mean there are some stats that you presented to us Christian where you looked at sort of his last five weeks in particular and some of the statistics that he's very very high up in yeah, so a lot of it, a lot of it is to do with the next part of the play for him. But yeah, just raw clearances. So rounds three to eight, he sort of had six clearances a game, forty-eight clearances, which is third in the comp. Eighteen scores from those, which is two more than any other player. So that was uh, up until round eight. Round eight to eleven, he had eighteen clearances in his four games, but Carlton didn't score from any of those clearances. So it's not necessarily his fault yeah. always, but again, they just weren't able to get anything. So everyone was sort of looking at saying Paddy Cripps does doesn't look the same. I said, well, his numbers are, are very similar. It's just that the ball's not ending up anywhere after he does something for it. Um, and then he had sort of, yeah, he was skipped a game in round 12. He had one clearance against Melbourne. But rounds 13 or 18, he's back to third in the competition for clearances with 39. Uh, 10 scores, which puts him at equal seventh in the competition. But again, he's, his clearances are dropped off slightly in the middle part of the year, but it's the final result of his clearances that sort of mm. you can almost judge how well Carlton's going. I think the criticism of Cripps was... a probably a little overblown even earlier and it's i know it might be a bit hindsight here but even when carlton was at you know at its worst point this year certainly don't think he was it was anywhere near one of the worst players in the team yeah just i mean probably a comparison to how he went last year but it's hard to back up a brownlow yeah that's true uh christian the d's should trade Brody grundy as the two ruck setup just doesn't work in the afl anymore uh, a couple of different questions there, there are, i already. will say yes to the trade uh, but the two-ruck setup, it, it depends on who you are and how you run it. So we looked at, in the last three years, um, a ruckman's rating points per 100 minutes. So if you play solo as a ruckman, you average 12.8 rating points per 100 minutes. If you are sharing your ruck duties with a ruckman, it's 12.3 rating, so 0.5 difference. So again, there's not a big a big case to look at competition-wide that, yes, you'd rather play with one ruckman or no ruckman, but there is clear players... Uh, across the competition that perform better when they're the solo ruck compared to the compared to when they share the ruck duties. Right. So this is going past the last three years. The player that sort of performs better as a solo ruck compared to when he has to share the ruck duties, number one, Mason Cox. Mm. So when Collingwood give him the ruck role, he's actually performed so much better than when wow. he's actually doing a 50-50 one. Second on that list is Max Gorn. 
So again, and we saw that we saw it on Friday Just night. Just a Melbourne system thing. Correct. If, he, if he's given the like, he's the best ruck in the competition. So if you give him the ruck and you give him the job by himself, he's gonna he's gonna perform. I think it's about six or seven point rating points more per one hundred. Oh, sorry, he's at three and a half rating points more per one hundred minutes when he's rucking by himself compared mm. to with a combo. Uh, and Brody Grundy's actually down the other end, sort of not not right down the other end, but he actually rucks a little bit better when he has shared the ruck duties. So. Again, if you're looking at Melbourne, though, Max Gorn is the is your captain. He's the one you've already got. Yep. Keep him in the best position, and then Brody Grundy move him on. But again, looking at Grundy's numbers, there there's a suggestion there that he he can play as a as a shared ruckman. It's just not with Max Gorn. Interesting, Jake. Final one before we wrap things up. Morris Rioli Jr. should be dropped after he refused to take the phone from the coach after being subbed out against the Eagles. Hundred percent justified. Drop him. Um, you can't be doing that. Bad look for an interim coach. Yeah, uh, the interim coach, I think. What if it wasn't filmed? Well, do you still drop him? But it is filmed. Exactly, it is filmed. If it wasn't filmed, I mean, nobody knows about it. They probably don't drop him because it's a, it's not a, it does, it's not seen publicly as a, as a bad look for the club. But as you said, it was filmed. It is a bad look, and particularly for a player that is, with all due respect, not not a walk up starter every week for the Tigers. So yeah. he's fighting for his place in the team. Um, yeah, you can't be giving your coach a reason to leave you out of the side. And I, I, I would, I'd be surprised if he plays this week. Ooh, fair enough. Uh, footy tips, get them in. It's Friday this week. No Thursday games. So school holidays oh, must tips. be over across Gee, I, I the country. I have really gone off the boil with my footy tips. Not, the sele- <laughs> not so much the selections. Don't but want to the, look at them. <laughs> well, I, ha- I haven't... Yeah. I'm not a great ambassador for footy tips, so I keep forgetting. Uh, anyway, get them in. Friday Night Footy this week. Uh, at Footy Tips on Twitter if you want to chat with us. Questions, comments, feedback, we'll take it all. Uh, Christian, good to speak with you. Jake, good to have you back in the studio. It's everyone at home. We'll speak to you in the next episode. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.